um, she said uh, to me the other day, she goes, I want to be a police officer, daddy, so I could be a good one to make changes. And I said, that's good, baby. But listen to all the conversations that's happening because you don't have to make this decision yet. You're still young. Originally, she wants to be a teacher. Now with everything going on, I think she's kind of rethinking things and kind of trying to figure her purpose in all of this. And she also was hearing children of the future. She said that to me yesterday. Daddy, I keep hearing they saying children of the future. And, and that's me, right? So she's understanding that she's gonna be the one, her generation and people like her are gonna be the ones to change this indefinitely. So we're, we're kind of moving the big boulders out the way, but they're gonna come through and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna clean up the dirt and get the rubble out and they're gonna farm and they're gonna get some some something growing here. That is Nova Church. I am Leanne Sherrick, and on behalf of my co-host Chris Chavez, welcome to episode forty-three of the Runners of NYC podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. Our guest for this episode is Nova Church. He is a captain for the Bronx Soul. If his voice sounds a little bit familiar to you, it's because he was one of the leaders who spoke at former guest and local runner Coffee's Run to Protest. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend checking it out. In this episode, we continue the conversation amid the Black Lives Matter movement about the changes that we're pushing for as a community. Nova expands on his call to action and what he wants to see from all of us. He also shares some insight into how he started getting active in running, why helping improve the health of the Bronx keeps him motivated, and the unity among the Bronx running division. People said the marathon continues when Nipsey Hussle died, but Nova is someone who is living that daily. Without further ado, here is Nova. All right, and now we welcome on Nova Church. Nova, I guess like we'll we'll start with the fact that you spoke at the run to protest on Sunday. It was yeah. really moving. So thank you for 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 joining us. Uh, the other thing too is just kind of like it's been a whirlwind of emotions the last like couple weeks. How are you feeling? Um, surprisingly okay. Um. I think in the beginning of the whole pandemic was uh, my low point. Um, for two weeks, I wasn't working at my, my job, which uh, I do fire safety for a commercial high-rise building. Um, and uh, people didn't know what was going on, how long this would last. Um, and I got a call back two weeks later, oh, you made a mistake, we want you to come back in. And, you know, but in that two-week period, um, I had to reflect and 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 kind of looking within and figure other things out. Like, okay, if this if this could knock me on my butt potentially, maybe I have to set up a, a better foundation for myself. So it got me uh, internalizing and 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 making pulling the trigger on a couple of things I had in my mind, entrepreneurship wise, you know. Um, so now I'm just that's. You know, I'm back to my, my, my gig and I'm working on starting my own business. My, me and my wife starting her own business just so we can develop a foundation so we don't have to be dependent on uh, 
a job, you know. Um, so my low point was in that first uh, two-week period when they when we first went on lockdown. And then uh, going back to work, it was still very stressful because I'm taking public transportation, not knowing, uh, you know, I mean, get on the trains in the beginning, there was homeless people all over the trains and and you could you, you question everything. Should I, you know, and I'm not touching anything, hands in my pocket. I'm like surfing on the train every stop. I'm I'm like trying to, you know, wrap my foot around the pole. I'm feeling like a like a subway stripper. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, that was my lowest point. And as you know, the time went on, uh um started feeling better. And then we have uh, a lot of civil unrest now. We have, you know, um, so now it's like, again, you know, but it didn't, come, it didn't lock me on my butt. It, it put me in a place of, again, with this stuff, we gotta fight and we gotta do this. And, and then as I see the days go on and the amount of people expressing themselves, it actually kind of flipped my whole, uh, mind state of being like down and feeling like this is different. We have more voices joining in. We have people that's like it's enough is enough, and people have more time because they're not working and and or they their hours are more narrowed down. Um, so more people could hit the streets and get involved and educate themselves because they're not distracted with work and. And, and, and other things that they might normally do on a normal basis. So during this whole time, it was, it's was it been a roller coaster. You know, it's been a real roller coaster, but I'm at a good place, like right now, seeing how the community, the running community is getting together. Um, and the running community has is, is always been a, a real beautiful community of people holding each other up, uh, making people accountable whether it has to be nutrition or getting out there for for a training run um so right now i'm at a good place you know and i'm talking with you guys so i'm feeling great got my coffee (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of interesting because you know the way we do our research on our guests is we just take a deep dive into all their old social media posts you obviously made it a little difficult for us with 3000 instagram posts but leanne was able to dig up just kind of like several posts from you know 2013 to 2016 you know trayvon martin rally sandra bland eric gardner these are things that you have openly spoken about for years how does this one feel different? You did mention that, like, right now, just the public reception. Why do you feel like this one is going to stick and that the actions being taken are, you know, going to – why is the momentum going to keep going for a bit? Well, I feel like between the, the, the pandemic and people are not working and more people kind of educating themselves and social media uh, being at its, I guess, at its peak with, with people sharing information – whether it be directly uh, on their feeds or people sending messages or sending this and sending, oh, this is happening and this is going down here. I think the kind of the difference is it's, it's, a, it's a boiling point. Mm-hmm. We've been boiling, 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 and then we get back to normal life and it simmers, right? It just simmers down. And then all of a sudden, if something happens again and it boil, boil, boils. But I think we're at a point where it's just boiling over. Now it's just an overflow because it's not just 
the uh, George Floyd's death is the accumulation of everything that leads to these type of situations. So it's like economics. It's it's uh you know people not having the same opportunities as others, and and now the pandemic cut through uh the black and brown community like a like a like a hot knife through butter, and people are dying at different rates. Um, people already had uh health uh dis disparities before this. So whether it be high blood pressure, diabetes, um, you know, sickle cell anemia, you know, a lot of people's immune systems already weakened. Even here in the Bronx, we have uh, we have uh, poor air quality and, um, you know, we have the, 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 of course, Bronx cuts right through the Bronx. And it's, you know, there's different conversations about that. It, does it affect the asthma rate? People feel like it does affect the asthma rate because we have the highest asthma rate uh, of children in the Bronx. Um, so I think it's just a, a, a accumulation and a boiling point that adds to this moment right here. And it, it's a pivotal one and it's an important one because it's just, it all added up. And this, the, the pandemic kind of squeezed the pus out the pimple. You know, and that, yeah, that's a bad metaphor, but <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it kind of is. So now we can see it. Everyone can see it. It's clear. And it's, it's a nice chunk of people who don't want to see it, don't want to be part of the change. And that's cool because the people that's part of the change, they have it in their heart, you know, and you don't want people who probably don't have it in their heart to be part of this. You mm -hmm. know, we want to do all of this with love, care, uh, humanity, empathy, sympathy, um, so that the right things are done, the right legislations are passed, um, the right mentality moves forward, not an angry one, an upset one, but one of community and care, um, which we have in the running community. So th this moment is basically the boiling point, the tipping point, and, and it sucks that it had to be George Floyd. It sucks it had to be Breonna Taylor. It sucks it had to be Ahmaud Arbery. But they are now martyrs for the movement. And we need to lift their names up, no matter what their past was. Or, you know, humans are humans and nobody deserves to die. You know, nobody deserves a senseless death, no matter what. You know, and, and you know, I, I like to think about um, Khalif Browder. Right, the kid from the Bronx who 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 was on Rikers Island for up to three years for a book bag. They said he stole and then he didn't steal it, and he didn't come out because he never wanted to say I did it. And they was trying to get him for a charge, admit to a charge that he didn't do. And he stood up and he said, "No, I'm not going to say that." But he could have been home. He could have said, "Oh, I did it," and they would have said, "Time served, go home." But he wanted people to hear his story. And he's a martyr because of that. And it's painful to see pictures and images of him, you know, knowing the pain he went through. And he's not a typical Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, he's not a typical uh, Rosa Parks or Harriet Tubman. Like, he's not a clear martyr. But if you go into his story and you hear, I didn't want this to happen to anybody else. I, I didn't want to tell him I did it because then nobody would know that this was bad. You know, and then he ultimately paid the ultimate price with his life so all these people need to be held up in high praise but this is the boiling point so hopefully these stories we don't have to need martyrs and we don't hear these stories anymore and or they or are they a lot less because 
you know, we change the quality of, of policing and we change the quality of the communities. What I remember about your um, speech from Sunday was that you said that we've been training and what you referred to as a marathon. So we've been training for the marathon since 1940. And today, the marathon continues. And after this marathon, we recover and we come out again and again. So you really did hit home that, you know, you kind of brought it back to something that all of us and all the people there could relate to. I have a lot of, I follow a lot of people way more than I should on, on, on my Instagram. That's only so I could keep an audience and keep uh, a conversation going, right? I'm not super famous, but if I follow people, they follow me back. If people like me, they follow me. Um, and what I notice is just certain people, they're posting things, certain people, certain people are not. Now, there was a point in time when um, I, was, I was vlogging. I was doing a lot of vlogging. And I was going to events and recording and documenting. And I'm a wrestling fan. I like pro wrestling, right? The rock and stuff, right? So I went to this independent organization and, and I did some vlogging there. So I have a lot of these wrestling friends as, as, as friends on my Instagram, Facebook. And I've noticed um, some of them, you know, are not engaged in this conversation at all, right? And I'm not mad, but one of them, that I, I, I'm, I have a, as a friend on my Facebook, he posted something like, I'm tired of seeing all this stuff in my feed. If I don't see anything positive from your post, I'm deleting you. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'll do you a favor. I'll delete myself. Like, you know, like, but it's like, it's, it's weird to me that this people, oh, I don't want to see this. Well, guess what? People don't want to live this. You don't want to see it on your social media. That's your only interaction with it. And it makes you feel that way. Now imagine walking around, dealing with it every single day, every minute, every circle you walk into. The only time you feel safe is in your home. But now after Breonna Taylor, like, you know, is that even a thing? You know, so I, I, people should live their life. People should, uh, you know, post something positive, uplifting, or whatnot, you at the beach, whatever. But also, people need to understand that in order to keep this conversation going, we all have to be in the conversation. So those individuals need to make a conscious and not unconscious decision of being part of the conversation, even if it's uncomfortable. Because a lot of people don't want to have these conversations. Like I've been having so many conversations. Part of my, in the beginning of uh, 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 the quote that you guys have posted on on uh, your in, on the Instagram, right? From me was the, uh, I said uh, we don't need to bake for allies, right? And that comes from me talking to people over years about these different issues, and they either make an excuse for it or. They'll even say something along the lines of, um, well, you know, in other countries, if you steal something, they cut your hand off. I'm like, like, what does it even have to do with this conversation that we're having about America and our justice system? Why are we talking about a, a third world country that is cutting off people's hands when we are living in the home of the free and we have the most incarcerated people? than any other nation like how is that so i think some people don't want to have this conversation 
and they'll wiggle their way out of it, even in their own subconscious. So I think it's up to all of us who are in the fight, who are humanitarian and understand that we are all equal, we all deserve the same privileges everyone else gets, then we need to all make sure we engage in this conversation, whether it's uncomfortable or not, and be honest in these conversations and not redirect it. Oh, well, look at here and look at there. Nah, we talking about this. And that's what's beautiful about this, because no matter how many distractions has been coming out, you got the rioters that started, you know, even here in the Bronx, not too far from me, they was rioting by Fordham, which broke my heart. I'm like, come on, dudes, you know, but these are poor kids in the community. I remember when I was 16, I was doing some stuff. I was doing some stuff at 16. So I'm not gonna be mad and, 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 and I mean, yeah, I'm upset. They did this in my community, I'm, I'm highly upset, but I'm not gonna redirect my conversation to talk about that. The conversation has to stay with it where it's at. And I'm just so happy that so many people are staying on the topic, you know, and keeping the conversation going no matter how many different things are happening. And that's the thing, is not to be distracted focus on it. There's always going to be other issues. Always. Always. We could get equal rights for everybody. We're going to find something else we're going to have to fight for, you know, constantly. But yeah, we got to keep the topic of conversation on this and not be distracted. And people who are having conversations with people, you're trying to convince people, you keep trying to convince people. But after a while, you got to understand, maybe they don't need convincing. Maybe you just need to do what you got to do to be in the fight and don't waste your energies on that because that could be a distraction in itself. It could stop you from looking up information or sharing information because now you're, like, you're mad, you're upset. Why don't these people get it? That's why I found myself for a lot of years, having conversations with people. People of color too, having conversations with people of color and, and they not quite understanding it. And it's like, you see where you at in life? This is... It's not because of all your poor decisions. Yeah, it's because of some of your poor decisions, but some of it is systematic, you know? How much of it is sort of, there's a balance here too, because you did in your metaphor that you used on Sunday, there's the component of rest. And I'm sure mm. that this can also be exhausting, you know, especially yeah. all of a sudden in the last like couple of weeks, having yeah. so many of these talks and, you know, it's, it reminds me of a friend of mine who said, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm black. And he's like, and I haven't been in this much demand to be on podcasts left and right. And that kind of stuff. He's like, it's, it's all of a sudden I'm just super popular about it. And so it's like, there is also an onus on people, you know, white people, just anyone who wants to be an ally to also do their own research and their own homework and, and you know, take the time to, to read and, and listen to the right things, you know, because, you know, you can't, it can't just always be on you to, you know, baby step and walk someone, you know, hold their hand throughout all of these uncomfortable conversations at times. So two parts, it's like, how, how exhausting has it been for you? Like, when do you need your rest? Obviously we have you on this podcast, but it's like, we also want to dive into mm -hmm. your own sort of, history within running at the and at the same time it's like what do you want to see from people who want to be allies what the this is tiring it, it is it's exhausting um i found a place where it's um you know as a marathoner you're always exhausted like you're always tired um, I know anytime I'm training and, and I'm doing everything like I'm supposed to, 
I'm like the only time I have energy is when I'm running. I mean, after the runs, I wind down, and all of a sudden I have this 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 crazy amount of energy. Like, where did this come from? You know, you just pushing me a threshold, me a cardio, and all of a sudden you got all this boost of energy. But for the most part, when you wake up, you're a little achy, you're a little tired, you got a little, you feel a little rusty. Um, so for me, the, the the times that I rest are like like today I'm resting. Right. Today I'm, I, I go to work. It's Juneteenth too, so I'm like I'm gonna take off. Um, and uh, it, it's a so what I try to do is I I'm constantly watching documentaries. I'm watching. I'm, I'm going back and I'm seeing what happened in the past. How did we get here? What, what has been tr- done already? Tried? What hasn't worked? What has worked? Um, I'm watching everything from Black Panther documentaries to, you know, they got Selma for free right now on, on, on I think Amazon and, you know, and just everything. I'm watching as much as I can. So my balance is as I'm doing all of these things and I start feeling like too emotional and too like enraged, like, okay, let's start watching some type of funny comedy. So me and my wife will watch something completely off the spectrum of this um to unwind and loosen up um you know i'll leave my phone and in another room where i'm not answering calls i'm not texting i'm not on social media and i'll be with my daughter and we'll read a book we'll exercise we'll practice handstands that's kind of what we're doing right now we're practicing handstands um and we we communicate in drawing you know, and that'll be my time to kind of unwind and, 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 and feel normal, feel like a normal individual without all of these things, without completely forgetting, you know, letting go, because the next day I'm back in it. And it's also like I said something similar, uh, I, I, like if people want to get involved, but it's exhausting to be out there every day. Pick a day. It's happening every day now. You can pick it. You can schedule these things like you schedule your runs throughout the week. You know, you 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 got your you, you run them on Tuesday, your well Monday, and you got your your track work on Thursday, and you got your long run on Saturday or Sunday. Spread out your the days that you want to get active, just like that. You know, um, people want to find out uh, what they can do and, and get active. You know, just go online and you can just look up what you can find, like for me personally, is I'm about the Bronx, right? We have a running group based in the Bronx, about the Bronx community. I love all the boroughs, but the Bronx is my borough and I want to take care of my community. So we have organizations like uh, Bronx Defenders. They help uh, young people get out of jail. So for a long time, it was about bail, right? They would help kids get out of jail uh, with for, with with these high bells that their families can't afford. And now they're sitting in there and they're probably innocent. Or they got trumped up charges that's not even the, the charge that they should even be having. So they're sitting in jail for months. You know, for what? Because they can't pay? If there's innocent and proven guilty, why is he sitting? So there's organizations in the Bronx that do things like that, which are near and dear to my heart because of my uh, situations with the system. Um, so people don't have to physically get out there, donate money, you know, or you could figure out what these organizations need. If they need volunteers, 
if they need uh, support or if you come up with your own ideas and reach out to them and see what you can work out together, you know? Um, that's kind of would be my suggestions for people who want to be allies, uh, you know, and have conversations and make sure you empathize and sympathize with the people you're communicating with so you can fully understand and feel that, that passion that they feel to get you to feel active. If, if you really want to be the ally and you quite don't understand where to get in it, it's about joining the conversation. Because once you join the conversation, people are going to tell you what you can do, you know? And it's about being part of the conversation. Because once you exile yourself out, you're not going to even understand what conversations are being had. So you're going to be completely out the circle, out the loop of, of, of what we're fighting for. You know, you're going to be confused. You're going to be fighting for something totally different. You know, you're going to be fighting for pancakes on Mondays. <laughs> we don't want pancakes on Mondays. <laughs> we want justice. The biggest part of your life is your daughter. And yeah. she was there on Sunday. She participated in the run. She heard you speak. What have the conversations been like with her? And how much is she plugged in and knows what's going on? With children, you don't know what, what's going on in you, right? Sometimes they say things and you'd be like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know you processed that. You know, I try to make sure I'm super sensitive with how I express things so she doesn't have an anger in her heart towards people she is seeing, uh, you know, killing black people or whatever, you know. And she knows it's not a particular person. It's the system. Right. And how it's designed. So we I watch some deep stuff with her. And sometimes I tell her, I said, look, baby, some of this stuff might be over your head. Like you might not understand, but try to digest as much of it as you can. And if you have any questions, ask me and I'll stop it and we can have a conversation because I don't want her seeing things and then kind of making her own assumptions. I kind of want to help her uh, understand. So her mindset is she wants to get involved and she wants to speak and she wants to, to make the changes. So um, a lot of the things I do with her is about, is about strength and being strong and knowing that she's strong, right? And being proud of being a woman and proud of being a black brown woman, right? And so even her hair is real curly. You know, we make sure we let her know how beautiful her hair is, how beautiful her skin is, and and that she really loves herself. Because a problem within our community is people try to conform too much, and they do things to their natural hair, and they want to get these job interviews, so they kind of act different than who they really are, and then in essence, they lose the person that they they supposed to be to conform to. So I try to really let her know who she is as she's getting older and encourage all the positive things that she shows me. So right now her mindset is she wants, um, she said uh, to me the other day, she goes, I want to be a police officer daddy so I could be a good one to make changes. And I said, that's good, baby. But listen to all the conversations that's happening. Cause you don't have to make this decision yet. You're still young. Originally she wants to be a teacher since she was little. I want to be a teacher. My mom's is my mother's a teacher. And uh, I'm kind of a teacher in the sense of how I articulate things to my community. So her first thought is teacher. Now with everything going on, I think she's kind of re 
overthinking things and kind of trying to figure her purpose in all of this. And she also was hearing children of the future. She said that to me yesterday. Daddy, I keep hearing they say in children of the future. And, and that's me, right? So she's understanding that she's going to be the one, her generation and people like her are going to be the ones to change this indefinitely. So we're, we're kind of moving the big boulders out the way, but they're going to come through and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to clean up the dirt and get the rubble out and they're going to farm and they're going to get some, some, something growing here. And I think she's starting to understand it. So when she was saying that, that she wants to be a police officer, which I'm not against, um, I said, okay, baby, just understand there's a whole lot of conversations happening. So it, that doesn't have to be your final uh, decision, you know, because there's a lot of other things you can do. Because she also expressed something about a lawyer. Because we, um, we watched something with uh, oh, Just Mercy. I don't know if you guys seen it. Uh, Okay, so in Just Mercy, he uh, is a lawyer. The movie, um, forgive me for not knowing every or the real people, everyone's names, but it's basically Jamie Foxx was locked up. He was innocent. Uh, Brandon B. Jordan plays uh, this young lawyer, and um, he uh, he he interned getting he interned uh, helping people get off a of death row, and then. When he graduated, he decided that's what he wanted to do, right? So he's not going to make money. He's just going to be a lawyer for, for, for innocent people. And uh, long story short, he got an innocent man out of jail. And at the end of the, the, the movie, I want to read the book now, but at the end of the movie, they, I think it was 140 or 150 people, he got off a death row. That means that was 140 or 150 people that was going to be executed, that was completely innocent. That's like, that's crazy. That's mind-blowing. And, and knowing that there's probably other cases that they couldn't do and handle because their caseloads is 140, 150 at, at that point. You know, so she's, she watched the majority of that film. I think she might have fell asleep, you know, because she's eight. But she understood that this lawyer was dedicating his life in, in, in helping these innocent people get out of jail and not just black people. It was all these people that was on death row because the system, it discriminates, but it, it don't discriminate that much. It's like, if you poor, you're going down, you know, unless you look real neat and nice in that courtroom, you know, you're going down. Um, so right now I think she's, she's processing everything. She's seeing everything. She wants to be part of the change. Um, you know, so uh, we're going to have more conversations. And also she, um, she's learning about her rights, the Constitution, so she can fully understand how to express it, how to practice it, even for her own well-being, like knowing that um, her, like her personal space and knowing her worth and knowing how you should be respected as a woman, you know, and, and be empowered. Like, I'm really trying to let her know how strong she is, and she's gonna be, man. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what her growth is because it's going, you know, I'm not doing nothing compared to what I know she's gonna do. Like, you know, so I'm really excited for her future, and 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 I'm sure as she does her thing, other children around her age are gonna gravitate towards her, and maybe she could, she could start her own little movement, a little people, you know, of lawyers and, and, and police and and council members and, you know, because it, 
it gets deeper than mm-hmm. to the people who can make these changes. That's why I didn't want her to stop at police, even though you could do that. But I want her to understand this is a wide array of, of, of lanes you can go down to make these type of changes. It's it was so awesome to see her just jumping up and down, you know, on Sunday after you had spoke. It was probably one of the best moments of the of the whole entire day. Um, yeah. And then I think just yesterday on your Instagram post uh, story, you posted a photo of your first race and I think like her first race. So yeah. kind of, let's start moving into a little bit of like your okay. running background. But before all of that, I want to know who was Nova Church before the running? Where does the story begin? And I guess like, has it always been in New York? So yeah, born and raised in the Bronx. Um Still where my mom is at now. Uh, well, not me, but my mom is still where we was growing up, you know, same apartment, so I could go Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, you know, all the memories flush back. Um, so Nova Church before the running was uh, all over the place. I was all over the place like a runner. Um, so I did a lot of music, always wanted to be an artist, uh, was doing a lot of open mic stuff. Um, in the mid 2000s, uh, started a band around 2010 ish. Was doing shows uh, like Lower East Side area, all the, you know, all the venues over there. Um, things happen. Bass player quit. Can't reformulate. So the music thing. I'm still doing music, but not on the same level. Um, so. What got me, okay, even predating that, Nova Church is a recovering alcoholic. So I am about 11 years with no, no alcohol. I don't drink, um, which was the best decision because it put me on an upward trajectory. Uh, before that, um, at 16, uh, got arrested for robbery. Um, put through the system, um, did a program when I was 16 that helped me. It was a therapeutic community that I had to live in at 16 years old. This is kind of where it really started me, like being who I am. And being in that program, I was in there uh, because I was smoking weed and uh, doing, not going to school and doing stupid things with my friends. Um, being in there, I was in there with people who were from foster homes. They were uh, legit crack addicts, heroin addicts, and they was my age, 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, People who their family, like their one guy, his father used to make him go into people's window. He would lift them up on a fire escape and tell his son to go in people's windows to steal clothes. And uh, the kid got arrested. They took him away from his father. He ended up in the program. When he came in, he smelled like, like a homeless person. He was 16 years old, like me. So that in that time frame allowed me to see, man, it could be a lot worse. Like I'm in here because of some real bad decisions. I have a good mother, a good upbringing. How did I end up here? And in 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 those moments, I had to really self reflect. And by 18, um, law-abiding citizen, got a job, uh, moved out on my own at 18, had my own apartment, 
um, with a roommate, uh, doing really good. Um, working in a sneaker store at a time, ironic enough, selling sneakers. Um, then I, I was on probation, which I don't know if you know, probation could be a trap. So around this time frame was stop and frisk, right? So cops could jump out their car at any given moment and pat you down, right? So when you're on probation, you're not supposed to have any interactions with the police. So being in the Bronx, stop and frisk, being on probation, police stop me, have to report it. That's the story I told when they said I had a switchblade when it was mm-hmm. a box cutter from my job. That sent me into violating my probation. So I had to go to Supreme Court, stand in front of the judge, and uh, they wanted me to bring in proof that I went to school, I finished the program they wanted me to finish, and that I'm employed. I did them one better. I did all of that, gave them a trade that I had uh, gained in that time, uh, bring them my mail, showing them that I'm living on my own and providing for myself, showed up to court with everything they wanted, I had no, for for some reason, I didn't have any of my family members come on me that day because I was like, oh, nothing's going to happen. I'm proving everything. They remanded me. So I was 18 years old by this time. 18 years old, they remanded me. I ended up going to Rikers Island for 10 months. Wow. So I look over to my public defender and I tell him, I'm like, I was supposed to go to work in like 15 minutes uh, while they're putting the cuffs on me. And he's like pleading with the judge, oh, your honor, you just wanted him to bring in this information and he's providing it for you. Why is he being, he wants to fight his case. He could fight his case. So if I fight my case, I'm doing, and I lose, I'm doing like three to five years, you know, or I cop out and I do uh, eight months, which was 10 months in total because I was going back and forth to court at that point. So that was like, it kind of knocked me on my butt, lost my apartment. So that kind of highlighted to me how the system worked. Because in the beginning, I was making mistakes, right? They put me in the correctional facility, but to correct, they didn't correct anything. It's not correcting anything. The system is flawed. So now at 18, doing everything that I got to do, they kind of knocked me on my butt. So now it's like, I'm getting back. I'm getting back. I'm getting back. I'm getting back. Um, in between this time, I started running. And... Uh, to lose weight, fitness, and growing up, my mother used to always be into fitness, so I always gravitated to, to running for fitness purposes. Um, but now we could fast forward all the way up until uh, 20, what's that, 2011-ish, 2012, I think was my first run. You guys got it, right? With- I think Leanne has it, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think it, 2012, I, yeah, I know your first race was in 2013, the run for change, I believe. 2013, that was my first, yeah. So I did the Penny Harvest run. So all that time, I'm kind of bettering myself, educating myself, starting a family. Um, and then the health stuff, my daughter being born was like, okay, let me show her something more. Like she's like, kind of like, you know, at that time I wasn't doing my music. So it's like, that would have been something to show her daddy's great at doing this. So I'm like, let me figure out what I can be a good, you know, father figure and and show her. So that's when the running started for the races. It was more of a visual for her because I could run on my own. I don't have to, you know, 
But the penny harvest was good because we got to raise money for public schools. We raised, uh, I think we raised like $100 between my, my friends and I. We raised like $100. And, um, and that kind of set me, you know, the runner's high, the race. And it was a smaller race, so I was like seventh place. So I thought I was fast or something. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, I did NYC runs, the, like a hot chocolate run um, in Riverside Park. Uh, you know, fast forward, you know, I'm running with New York Road Runners, uh, getting swept into this whole marathon mentality, Brooklyn half, Staten Island half. And then it's like, you know what? I guess it's, it's, it's time to marathon this thing. And uh, yeah, that's when the marathon uh, training kicked into high gear. Um, and I did it all on my own. I didn't go to no uh, organizations to train. So it wasn't the best uh, times that I had. It was, you know, I think I over, for my first marathon, I overdressed. I had on too many layers. Everybody's like, yeah, last year, the marathon. Um, it was cold. It was so cold. It was like a record cold. And I'm like, okay, it was cold. All right. So I need to make sure I bundle up. And, you know, you get to uh, Staten Island and you, everyone's just standing out there waiting uh, to hit the bridge. And uh, I'm out there standing still. But as soon as I start moving, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is hot. I had like a, a compression tee under a, a dry fit tee. This is 2015 because I, I remember 14 was the really cold one. I did that one. And then 15 uh, was a perfect day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you should have told me. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm out there. By the time I'm in Brooklyn, I depleted so much fluids from sweating. I couldn't even uh, 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 replenish. So by the time I was in Brooklyn, I was cramping my, my hamstrings, my quads. And I'm like, this sucks. Um, so there was like a row of porta potties. Uh, I don't know what street. I don't know Brooklyn like that. But it was that strip where it's like the brownstones. You kind of cut and do the brownstones over there. And everyone's in the streets. Ah. And um, so I went to the porta potties. Literally got naked in the porta potty. I threw away some good compressions. So whoever got those compressions, just lucky. Those are pretty new. And uh, got back out there. But by then, I was still having these like light cramps in my hamstrings, and so I just slowed my pace down so I wouldn't extend to fall into a full cramp. And I'm watching people go down around me like it was a war zone. People <laughs> dropping head. Guy in front of me, I could see his calf ripple. I've never seen, it looked like aliens when the thing was coming out the, the stomach, but in his calf, and then he kept stopping, and I'm like, oh my God, please don't <laughs> let that happen to me. <laughs> please don't let that happen to me. You know, but uh, yeah, I finished pretty good, uh, you know, and uh, I did it again the next year, <laughs> you know, and I think I, 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 I beat my time by like 50 minutes. That's awesome. Which is a lot. Yeah, because I dressed a lot cooler the next year, uh, you know. Um, yeah, man, this running journey has been beautiful because uh, I got to uh, be part of Bronx Soul. The founder of Bronx Soul, his name is Justin Mache, and uh, the co-founder also Pedro. And um, we, we, I met Justin on the train real random one day. And uh, he goes, hey, you, you ran with Harlem Run? Because I ran with Harlem Run a few times, looking for, you know, by, by after the marathon, just like, I need to 
I want to run with other people, like, you know, and I was kind of dabbling running with other people. There was another group around, uh, called uh, Runners United, NYC. Um, when I first kind of was getting into it, and I used to run with them here and there. But then when I bumped into Justin, he's like, hey, we got this group in the Bronx, and it's about community and this and that. I was like, man, that is like right up my lane. Like, and it's funny because even before that, I was thinking about starting my own group in the Bronx. Like, I was literally in the plans of like naming it and everything and inviting people out. So when he told me that, I was like, cool, I ain't got to put in on no work and creating something and I could just jump in. That's, that's perfect for me, you know. But ever since then, I've been a captain with the group. I think I joined them one time and the next time I became a captain and and uh, yeah, we've been leading the groups, group runs for people in the community. We do walk, run, we have a walk, run group where people run a little bit, walk a little bit so that older people could come out and kids could come out. Um, and uh, that this, the Bronx Soul has been the, the best part of all of this for me, the uh, joining the running community and being a runner because it allows me to engage with my community while doing something I love. You know, and uh, we do a lot with the parks, partnership for parks. We got an award last year or the year before, you know, time all starts to bleed now. But uh, we got an award from the Parks Department. We do a lot of park cleanups. We invite the community out to help us. Um, you know, we do a lot of community engagement. In fact, we did something with Solomon, which just popped in my head. I kind of forgot about it, where we was in Van Cortland Park. And it was kind of like it was a game. So you would have to do a loop. In the loop, you ran up some mountainous little area and then you looped around. And then when you got to me, I would ask you questions about the park's history. And it was A, B, C, and D. So you could get it right if you got an educated guess. And I would give you a wristband every time you got it right. And whoever at the end had the most wristbands got some, some Solomon swag. Um, I think Jesse, I don't know if you guys know Jesse from uh, Harlem Run and he be all over. Um, he came in first place. I kind of knew it. He came out there like a beast, you know. Um, but yeah, these things kind of, you know, are the blessing of the running community for me. Um, I get to engage with my community and, and still stay active and run and be part of it. And now we have the whole Bronx running division, mm -hmm. which is all of us coming together like Voltron, you know, and, and uh, Global Running Day two years ago, we had uh, our first big event. I don't know how, what was the number like, like maybe 150 people we had meet. And uh, it was epic because everybody was looking like, what is this? We're like, this is the movement. This is the health movement. And it's here in the Bronx, you know. From the, the earlier running posts that I see, everything you're doing was like every single run was about bettering yourself. And whether it was like mm -hmm. a 5K on a Monday night and – it was always about like, hey, I showed up and I did it. And when you first joined Bronx Soul, it seemed like there weren't many people. And I think you joined kind of a few months after they'd started. And so mm -hmm. now it's kind of like exponentially grown. So how has it been to see that group kind of just expand? And I know now your mother runs with the group and your daughter runs with the group. So yeah. how has that, how have you seen that take off? What has that meant to you? Oh, it means a lot. I mean, to see people, so our social media presence, a lot of people think it's me behind the, the, the Bronx Soul page, but it's not. It's a mix of a couple of the other captains and, and Justin. Because um, I like what they're doing and I don't want to, you know, I have access, but I don't want to. But a lot of people reach out to the page and uh, whoever's on the page 
reaches back out to them to make them feel like they are part of us, even if they're not there. So people come and they join and they're like, I've been following you guys for like two years. I've been just too nervous to come out, but you guys always made me feel like family. So I'm here. And then we welcome like, well, welcome family. Welcome. You better come back next week, you know, and having that sense of family and community is a beautiful thing when, when uh, there's a perception about the Bronx and there's an image that surrounds uh, the Bronx. Yeah, it's a little tough, but it's a lot of love. It's just, you got to get past the, the 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 mean faces, you know, and then you're gonna you're gonna get to the love. Um, but to see people come and gravitate towards us, either because they want to uh, for fitness reasons, um, some people come to us because they love how we do history. We we stop at historical uh, landmarks in the borough and we we we, we speak about it. Um, so people come for different reasons. But all of it is, is, is a sense of, of, of community and love and coming together. So watching everybody come and, and, and the group get bigger and different type of people coming from all over. There's people that came from, uh, there was this two people that came from, was it Texas? They saw us and they was visiting New York, right? And we're not a tourist group. We're not for tourists, you know? <laughs> we're more for community. But it was cool that they saw what we're doing. They love what we're doing. And while they was doing a touristy thing in, in New York, they came and they ran with us, you know, and it was like, we're reaching beyond the borough, beyond the state. We're reaching people all over. And even if they're not here with us, you could be here in spirit, here with the energy, you know, because energy, it, it trans, it, it, you know, it moves around. And if it's positive, that's always a good thing. And we all need to share that. So that's been the best thing about it is seeing the sense of community, the sense of, uh, of everyone coming together and feeling family-like. Well, you'd mentioned it before, just sort of like, you know, how the uh, the Cross Bronx like cuts through and then there's just like a bunch of different health disparities that have been pointed out about the Bronx. And just like, I think, because for the longest time, like it struggled as like, technically like it's one of the least healthiest counties in New York. How much do you think that mm-hmm. that has changed because of the running... Uh, I guess, uptake that has been seen throughout all these different crews? Well, I think I'm not sure when we're going to actually see uh, the needle move because it's been so long that we've been the unhealthiest county out of 62 counties. Um, But because of the movement, not 62, a lot of uh, people who are into fitness in the borough, when we post, we put not 62 because we do not want to be 62. It's not a choice. it, it, so I'm seeing a lot of people take health a lot differently right now. Um, and because of the culture that we, we now, I used to run in the Bronx and I wouldn't see other runners. I used to run on the Grand Concourse and I wouldn't see other runners. Now I see a runner, we kind of head nod each other, you know. Um, I go through the parks, I see runners. I mean, I bump into other runners I know, which is, I used to, instead Central Park, that was always a thing. Go to Central Park. Runners love Central Park. If you if you know a lot of runners, you're going to see somebody you know in Central Park. But to be in my borough, running in a random neighborhood, and it's a bummer to somebody running or somebody I know running, really shows me in the last few years how that uptick has been influencing people to get out there and be more active. Um, even the track. Uh, uh, we have uh, the Yancey track 
on uh, across the street from Yankee Stadium. Um, some people call it the Yankee Stadium track, but it's called Yancey track. And uh, it gets packed. It gets packed. Like, I avoid that track. Like, I mean, I haven't been over this since the pandemic, but it gets too crowded. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, it really shows you that people, maybe we need, just need more uh, outlets. We need more track and fields in the Bronx. I was actually thinking about that a couple months before all of this happened, that we need more areas where people can uh, can run without being all clustered up. Um, because you got some knuckleheads, they might ride their bikes on the track or some foolishness like that. Um, but since we started this whole thing, I definitely see a difference. I just don't know how much it's going to move that needle for us not to be 62 anymore because we have a lot of other health issues that we need to address, um, in the borough when it comes to like the, the asthma, um, the air quality, because we have, uh, you know, a lot of factory areas with, with trucks, uh, sit there with the engines on, you know, um, so that 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 just adds up over time, but I'm hoping like we're gonna see something like as far as a movement. Definitely, the movement is happening in the community. You kind of mentioned a little bit of how you would go for runs in your neighborhood and you wouldn't see people that you recognize. Now I kind of want to bring it back to race day. You know, it's it's a lot of you know, anticipation and anxiety right before race, like you're in race mode, you want to get the best out of yourselves. And at the same time, in the past couple of weeks, there's also the mm-hmm. conversation of realizing that if you looked around, you wouldn't see too many people who look like you. When, when does that sort mm-hmm. of like hit you? Um, because, you know, some people experience it at the beginning of a race and they notice it, but you can't, you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then other people yeah. notice it after a race, you know, where it's kind of like you just ran a crazy fast PR, you want to hug someone and, you know, there's that comfort level with doing it with someone that looks like you and it's just, you can't and like, cause there's no one, no one there. How, how have you sort of like been able to notice that and like, I guess like that's out of your control to changing it. Well, um, so I noticed it early on and um, it's because a lot of people of color living like a, a below a poverty line where these races cost money. Um, and I think some people, I've even heard some people who, who are legit uh, races that they, 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 they could place and they say, well, I'm going to pay for that when I go run on my own. You know, and I guess it has to do with people not feeling comfortable because they don't see other people like them. But for me, it was more about reaching the finish line. But I did notice it uh, when I first started joining the races. Um, I wouldn't see too many people that look like me or if they did, they was older. You know, I mean, I'm 36, but I'm kind of youthful. So I like to hang around. I mean, I don't like stupid people, so I like young, smart people to be around, um, and I feel like that's how I'm going to stay young, too, you know? Uh, um, but I did notice it a lot early on, and it's been definitely changing over the years. Like, I see a lot. Like, when I know Boogie Down has a lot of – Boogie Down Bronx runners have a lot of uh, runners. Like, they, they, they super deep. And when they show out to races – and they be taking these these pictures and they like super deep. It's like, wow, 
that wasn't a few years ago, like you wouldn't see that. You might have seen like uh, maybe uh, some of Willpower. Willpower's peak. Like when I first started running, I seen Willpower shirts everywhere. And I was like, who's, I, I don't, what's Willpower? Is that a name brand? Like, I, I don't know what that is, right? Fast forward now, like, that's my homie. Like, you know, like, oh, I know that guy, you know, he's my boy. Um, but, you know, and they're uh, a mix of, 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 of Black and, and, and Latino, uh, and Latinas, you know. And so that was, like, the closest I saw. But then to see more dark-skinned people and more, you know, people from the Bronx, you know, it, it, it happens kind of slowly uh, over the last few years. But if you look now, it's like it, it burst on the scene in a sense with the last physical races that we had. You could see it. Um, but now it, it, it's, it's bleeding into other people and it's becoming cool. You know, I think kind of the bridge run is kind of, you know, what Mike was saying, like they kind of made running cool. Running wasn't really cool like that. Now this is this kind of a swag to it, you know. Some of the gear we wear, um, it's not, you know, it's for everyone, you know. Whether you're cool, you're a geek, you're this, you're that. When you're in these circles, everyone's just cool, you know. It's it's not like oh, these are the jocks. These this is the glee club over here. Like nah, it's like. We are here. Yeah, there might be people having conversations there, 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 but trust everyone is here for the same reason and everyone is going to communicate in the same way. Um, but now it's, it's awesome to be able to run with other people who I wanted to be running. Like, I used to always try to push it on my community. Yo, these races, you need to come out, get active, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm seeing people out there. That just makes me happy, whether they're my friends or they from some other neighborhood just to see other people out there that I wasn't seeing a few years ago. It's a beautiful thing to know that the runner community is getting a lot larger and the demographic of people who didn't really think about running these organized events are now thinking about it, doing it and developing a whole new culture for it. Yeah. I think what I noticed was that, um, that, you also have the vlogging aspect. So when you run, you're taking a video and you're expressing, mm -hmm. you know, how you're feeling. And maybe that comes from like your music background that you always have this outlet and whether it's music or vlogging and then running is also an outlet. So when did those things kind of come together where you felt like you wanted to vlog or speak to people while running? When did those two things come together? So when I was doing my music, I was always self-promoting. So it was, I, I was vlogging before, I guess it was called vlogging. Um, I don't even know what I was calling it. Oh, I was calling it making the band video. That's what I was calling it. Or uh, other things, um, like we, uh, I think I did a video where we took a trip to Utica and we performed uh, at a music festival for like three days. And, and I was documenting that. And I was always trying to document to self-promote, to get people to see what I was doing and, 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 and sell it. Um, so that kind of bled into my life in general, like whether it be um, I did some cosplay kind of stuff where I did uh, King Ezekiel from The Walking Dead. And uh, I documented it. I documented walking around the convention center and taking pictures with people and, you know, um, if uh, 
you know, me and my brother, my brother's a chef. Um, I hit him up and asked him if he wanted to go to this food truck festival and we went and then we vlogged it. So it's like, kind of like, I like to document. I like to uh, show things and, and to people who might not normally get to see these things and see if they like it. And if they do, hey, give me a thumbs up on my YouTube. You know, that kind of vibe. So it kind of just bled into my running where it's like, I want to show uh, what I'm doing um, in a way where it makes it interesting to people and engaging to people. And even uh, people who already run, maybe it's something they would want to see. Because I know I enjoy watching, uh, you know, a couple of different YouTube uh, people like uh, there's a guy called The Ginger Runner. Mm -hmm. He has a YouTube channel um, and I love the way he documents. Um, most times he's kind of following another runner doing the ultra. So you get to see uh, the trials and tribulations of an ultra. You get to see the pain you get to see all the different food you get to eat you kind of get to see the tears and and the rolling of the ankle and the getting up and adrenaline still going so you can keep pushing and making it to the finish like so when i watch those kind of things it pulls me in in a way where it makes me feel impassioned to do it myself so i feel like mm, maybe if i could kind of make similar you know videos uh like a vlog type, not just like in the documentary style, like he kind of does, you know, and there's a few other people I kind of love the way they uh, uh, record and document running and, and you know, I kind of want to give people a window into the runner's world, you know, and specifically mine, because I like to show the Bronx and, and, and things of that nature. So kind of before we move to the final questions that we ask every guest, I kind of am very curious because, you know, you've run, you know, several marathons at this point. And the question that coffee kind of brought up and it, was, it came up in a conversation that we had with him was sort of like, because there are such fewer people of color doing things like the marathon. It, it's it's very interesting when he asks them the reason why they're doing it. And it's, you know, maybe sometimes because they're doing it in memory of a loved one. But then how do you get yourself to come back and do another one? So my question to you is sort of, why have you kept doing this? And also, what else do you want to continue to do? Like, what are some of the goals that you have along the way? Um... Definitely, like I was saying before, my daughter is definitely uh, a, motiv a motivating factor for me to keep pushing and keep uh, pushing myself and showing her this. Um, and for myself, to keep myself in, 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 in great shape as I get older. And, and I want to be able to run in, at an old age. Like, I don't see myself ever stop running. And when that day comes, ooh, I'm scared. Um... And the hope was when I'm very, 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 very old. Um, at this point, my the goals that I have left is 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 mostly based in the Bronx as far as running, believe it or not. So one goal of mine is to do 62 miles in the Bronx for not 62. Um, trying to figure out how I'm gonna do that. Uh, as I was saying, I watched uh, other YouTubers uh, documenting ultra marathons, 
So that's definitely on my bucket list. I want to do an ultra. I know it's going to it's gonna break me down. It's going to kick my butt. But that's definitely on my bucket list. I want to be able to do an ultra, um, which would probably be the 62. Uh, but there's a few ideas I had. Uh, I'm not going to uh, grasp straws and pitch them all to you right now. Um, but uh, one of them was like a two-day thing. Um, and get people in the community involved or have uh, people join in with me for certain parts of it and uh, highlight it to the local media that uh, we're doing 62 miles in the Bronx to, uh, you know, inform people about all the health issues of the borough and to highlight um, that we're trying to undo that and using that platform to talk to the people. Um, so that's kind of a goal. That is a goal of mine. Um, I'll let you know about that and how it yeah. goes. Uh, also, um, I mean, I want to keep, I like long runs. I like running long distances. Um, I like seeing different things. So it's basically, I, my goal is basically to keep running long, man keep running long and uh you know i was supposed to a marathon in carolina march 28th oh wow um, that was right before everything got canceled. canceled of course yeah so the marathon got canceled so i ended up running uh in the bronx i said to myself you know what since i'm not going to north carolina um i'm gonna run in my borough which was kind of a plan of mine to do that at some point in the future i wanted to do a full marathon and keep it within the borough um, so I ended up doing it uh, on that day because my cardio was great and I wasn't going to let that go to waste, <laughs> you know? Um, but other than that, my goal is just to keep running, keep running and keep running and, and, and use running to help impact and change uh, the community, uh, you know? What we're going to start doing is we're going to ask every guest in kind of in light of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and just this keeping the momentum going. Is there a foundation or an organization or somewhere that you'd like to highlight um, that you think is doing really good work and maybe, you know, the listeners could consider donating to or looking into? Uh, has any anything really spoken to you? Um, well, the organization I was referencing earlier, Bronx Defenders, um, I don't know if it's .org, .com or .something there, but um, when you go Google, type in Bronx Defenders, and um, they they show you everything uh, that they do, um, and they basically help poor families who have someone going through the system um, get out of jail and uh, get support that they need so they don't get railroaded, you know, because if you don't have someone in your corner, um, the system can take full advantage of you. And, and put you in a dark corner or somewhere where nobody knows. Um, so the Bronx Defenders give a lot of uh, poor families a voice, even though um, they do other things uh, with immigration, um, with youth, at-risk youth. Um, and uh, yeah, I would suggest that if uh, people want to donate to them, they do. They that that's a great organization to uh, to to help out. Um, one of many, but that's definitely one that's near and dear to my heart as far as what they do. 
I'll include the link to it in the in the show notes. All right, Leanne, lead us off on the final questions. All right. Where in New York City is your favorite place to run? All right, my favorite place to run. Okay, so in the Bronx, we have the most green space out of any borough. We have the most green space. So right by me, I live literally, I live across the street from the zoo. Um, so Bronx Park is is connected to uh, the green space in the zoo. So, um, so, so it's Bronx Park. So the trails go through Bronx Park and they go up towards Van Cortlandt. You just got to cut across it. So I like to use those trails in Bronx Park to lead me to Van Cortland Park. And that's kind of my, my favorite areas to go because of the green space. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. uh, a meditative kind of, you know, one with nature vibe when you're back out to this urban uh, landscape. What is your ideal day in New York City look like? If you didn't have to work, where are you going? What are the spots? Take us through it. My ideal day is... Uh, Definitely has to include a run. So I'll wake up early for that. Uh, when I come home, um, eat a nice meal with my family and have a nice conversation with my wife and my daughter. Uh, um, I guess just being with my family. I mean, I can't, you know, I guess being with my family is it, it, it would be an ideal day. As long as I get a running, I'm fine. You know, as long as I get that running, spend some time with my family, um, uh, maybe even in the night, create some music, you know, run, spend a whole lot of time with my family and uh, create, create music, create art. That's a good day. Nice and simple, yeah. relaxing. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. If you complicate it, it won't be that great. You know, you'll be tired. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Where is your favorite place to get a slice? Oof. My, pay, my favorite. A slice. Oh, that's the keyword slice. Mm-hmm. I was about to say another place, but keyword. That's, that's okay, so back in the day, I don't know if this place is still there. Well, it is still there, but it's under new management. It's by my mom's house in the Bronx on the Concord. I don't remember the name of it. I'm not going to be able to give you a name, but I can give you a location. It's on the Grand Concourse off of Mount Hope Place. Um, and the reason is because of the nostalgia that's attached to it. And it was great pizza, too. Now, after school, we used to have this uh, uh, $2 special where you could get a slice and a fountain drink. So all the kids used to go to the pizza place and get a slice and a big old fountain drink for $2. And we used to all stand around eating our pizza, talking after school. And the pizza was always good. Like even like growing up, my mother used to order pies from there. Fridays, we used to have pizza or Chinese food. And when it was pizza, it came from there. And it was probably, you know, the pizza I kind of grew up on. But the, the, the $2 specials after school, that was the nostalgia around that. And it was a really good pizza. It was solid. You could fold it. It wouldn't flop over. It had a nice amount of cheese. It was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't brick oven. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a good, it was a good pizza. And in the, in the, in the, uh, the nostalgia around it is actually why what makes it so special. Nice. This seems like an obvious one. Asking someone from the Bronx, but Yankees or Mets? 
Yankees all day, baby. Of course. <laughs> what is your favorite movie based in New York City? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, I got it. I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. I Am Legend. I worked on that movie. You did? I was a PA. I was a production assistant. Yes. So that movie at the time had the most PAs ever in history of movie making because we had to block uh, the public from stepping into a lot of those shots you saw where the city looked empty. So we would be placed on corners to stop people from walking into the spot. Some places you could not stop anybody. Like, I got to go to work. You got to get out of my way. Um, so I would say I am legend just because I'm attached to it. And um, a lot of those New York shots are really shot here in New York. I know they did some stuff in LA, the green mm-hmm. screen and everything, but uh, majority of that movie was filmed right here in New York City. And I got to meet Will Smith. I got to talk to him. And he did a Muhammad Ali impersonation. Oh, wow. the last day is on set. So towards the end of filming, they had less and less PAs coming because they needed less and less. So me and my friends were standing on the ramp at, um, oh, man, what's that? Oh, what's that? What's that? Uh, it's called Grand Central Terminal. Yeah. Oh, when he was shooting and everything. So we was on set and it was only two PA teams left. So it was like 10 of us. And he's walking towards us. And a friend of mine who was a Golden Glove boxer had conversations with him previously about boxing because he played Muhammad Ali. So as he's walking up to us, my friend says something to him. And he starts circling us like he's Muhammad Ali. Why are you kids? Why I might as well knock you out? And, and I was like, oh my God, this is Will Smith. And he's gonna knock me out as Muhammad Ali. <laughs> this is beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah, so definitely, I am legend. We ain't cool, you know. I can't call him up, man. Well, you know. But uh, yeah, definitely a great experience, a great movie, and I will, I'm gonna I'm choose that movie right here. All right, Nova. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time for this conversation. It was really nice to to learn more about you. I'm sure, you're like a lot of the people who were in attendance, you know, on Sunday probably maybe, you know, got to know your name, heard you speak for 10 minutes, but at the same time, just like us, you know, we were moved to the point where it's like, we wanted, we wanted more. And so, you know, I'm, thank you. Thank you again for doing this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thank you guys. And I appreciate for everything y'all doing within the running community, connecting everybody. And, and I appreciate y'all involvement with, with, with all of this and having these conversations. Um, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have, Many more conversations, and, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, your future podcasts with uh, other runners and hearing their stories. And, um, you know, I listened to a couple of podcasts even before uh, uh, our connecting. Uh, I have previously listened to a few podcasts, and, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm as a New York City runner. Um, so you guys keep doing what you do. I'm all power to you. And much success, and uh, I'm going to see you in the future. And I thank you again. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Many thanks to Nova for chatting with us. A reminder, if you're feeling generous and want to keep the podcasts coming, we've got merchandise that you can purchase. Whether it's t-shirts or a hoodie, you can show your love for the podcast by hitting the merch tab on SidiousMag.com and picking up some gear. The link is also included in the show notes. We also appreciate it when you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or shout us out in your Instagram stories. This helps new people discover the show, plus it lets us know you're still listening. 
that does it for this episode. I'm your host, Leanne, and on behalf of my co-host, Chris Chavez, we'll see you again soon. The marathon continues. <laughs>